Welcome again to our study of the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're almost at the end of the book. We only have uh, two more chapters to go, so it'll be this video and then the video for next week. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, and this is going to continue to deal with something that, that honestly, we've looked at for several different weeks. Uh, and we've been looking at it, I guess, kind of almost even since the very beginning of the book of Ephesians. And that is this call that since we have become Christians, things have got to change in our lives. That means the way that we think is going to be different. The way that we speak is going to be different. The way that we act and what we do has got to be different. And another thing he's going to get into in this chapter is that our households are going to be different. Now, of course, we have it in our idea, you know, right, right here and right now in the time in which we live, what a household is supposed to look like and what it, you know, what it does look like. And they had that, uh, those types of ideas in uh, the days of, of Paul as well. But he kind of modified some of that and he changed it and he said, look, in Christ, we are called to something more, called to something greater. And I think a, a lot of this chapter can kind of be summarized by what we even see in verse 1. So let's go ahead and start looking at these things together. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, I'm going to just start with verse 1, okay? I said that a lot of this is going to fall under that. The first verse says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Now, I think if, if you only really kind of catch one thing from this chapter, uh, this would be a big thing. This is a big part of what we're going to see is following God's examples. So whenever we might be reading in this chapter and you might be thinking, you know, because he's going to list some sins and you might be thinking, okay, well, I do pretty good about staying clear from those sins. I want you to remember verse one, follow God's examples. Okay. So now if you think that you maybe are pretty holy in some areas, which, you know, I hope that you can kind of judge yourself and, and kind of uh, kind of see where you're at and recognize that maybe you are pretty good in, in some areas. But I still want you to always compare that with, with the goal is following God's example. Every single person, no matter how good or how bad you are, can still be better in the sense of better at following God's examples. So we are called to follow God's example. So I want you to think about that. Even in these passages that you're thinking, oh, okay, well, there's no way I could go down that road, or there's no struggle at all uh, with, with me um, and that sin. Think about following God's examples. There's always going to be some room for improvement. Verses 1 through 7 now, Ephesians 5. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolatry, uh, uh, is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. So in this passage, keeping in mind following God's examples, I think that's a, that's a great thing to, to recognize. When we start to see some of these other phrases that appear, I mean, if you look at verse 2, we find out that, that we're called to walking in this, this way of love. By the way, I, I love the language about how we as Christians are called to follow 
uh, the way, walk in the way. You know, Jesus said, well, he said a couple of things about this. He said, I am the way. So he tells us that. So we're supposed to be following the way. That way is the way of Christ. Uh, but we also see that, that Christ also told us um, that the way is narrow. Um, he actually said, you know, the, the, the pathway is narrow. Uh, the gate, you know, the entryway, that is narrow as well. Um, so we need to make sure that we are following and paying attention um, to following that way. So this way of love that is being described right here, we see it's compared in verse 2 with just as Christ loved us. So, you know, you might be looking at that and might think, okay, well, I do a pretty good job of loving. Then you compare that in verse 2, just as Christ loved us. Now you have a whole different layer. How did Christ love you? How did Christ love me? And now do you want to start comparing your love with that? You start to see how, you know, if, if we compare ourselves to other people, you can always find somebody who's worse than you. I mean, just about always. You can always find somebody who's worse than you. They're not the standard, okay? You're not the standard. The standard is God. The standard is Christ. And all of us are going to fall short of that, but that's still the standard. That's still the call for which we uh, should try, uh, should strive for. And that's what he's going to continue to, to talk about right here is he calls us a holy people. Yet we're a holy people. We're supposed to be following our holy God, walking in this way of love just as Christ loved. And how did he love? He gave himself up as an offering, as a sacrifice to God. Can we do the same thing? Okay, you might think that, oh, well, I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice my life for the cause of Christ. But are you willing to live for Christ? See, that's what we get into with verses 3 through 7. It's not just about being willing to die for Christ. It's also being willing to live for Christ. Because he goes on and he tells us what living for Christ would look like. He says, among you, in verse 3 again, there must not even be a hint of what? Okay, when you start looking at it, I'm not going to focus too much on the specifics of these things. Because um, really, I think that what we see here is... This is just a list of, of sinful things. Now, maybe there's a reason specifically why he listed these sins. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to get too much into that. I think that what we see time and time again in Ephesians is that Paul, and maybe sometimes other writers of the New Testament do this as well, they will list kind of a few different sins that people might be engaged in for one reason or another. And then he will say, no, don't, don't have a part in any of these types of things. These are the types of things. And then he'll list uh, a list of virtues. You know, uh, we, we kind of sometimes if you read about these, uh, these are called vices on one hand and virtues on the other. That just kind of sounds nice, you know, vices and virtues and, and a way to, to keep those straight. Um, we see that the, the vices are things that you can get caught in and are negative things. The virtues are, are positive things. So we don't need to be involved in the evil things, the wicked things, the, the wicked list. We need to be involved in the positive things, uh, the, the things that we need to be a part of. That's why he lists several of these things. Um, you know, he, he lists sexual immorality, but he also lists all these different types of impurities. And, and he goes on and on about that. The reason is because that's improper, as verse 3 says. It's improper for God's holy people to be like that. We're called to be different. He also says in verse 4, he's talking about obscenity and foolish talk and coarse joking. They're out of place. But rather, how should our speech be? Our speech in verse 4 says, but rather thanksgiving. That's the type of language that we need to be. That's the type of people that we need to be. So we see this contrast there. We also find out if that's not enough kind of focus right there, and maybe if you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm not 
uh, I'm not hitting those sins hard enough and you think that maybe we need to focus on those sins a little bit more. Um, okay, look, keep reading. And if you look at this in verses 5 through 7, he says this statement. For you can be sure that no immoral person, no impure person, no greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Think about that. He's talking about having this inheritance in this kingdom of Christ and God. Now, there, of course, is a very real sense that I believe that we are already a part of the kingdom of God. We've already entered into that kingdom. But if we want to remain as the people of God within this kingdom of God, and if we want to remain uh, being pleasing to God to have this inheritance, this is kind of language that oftentimes the Old Testament speaks of. If that's the type of people that we want to be, which we do, okay, then we don't need to have immorality impurities or greed among us that he says none of that is what the kingdom of christ is about none of those things immorality impurity greediness none of those are what the kingdom of god is about we need to recognize that verse six it says that that on those types of things on such things god's wrath comes on those who are disobedient yes you know, uh, this is a, a passage, this is an idea that we might not like to think about. We might not like to think about God's wrath. But you know what? Whenever God's wrath comes on injustices, whenever God's wrath comes upon evil and wickedness, you know, sometimes in those instances, we look at that and we think, okay, well, that, that makes sense. Yes, now we need to understand, look, God is a holy God. We are called to follow God's example. If we follow this other example, if we try to find another way to live, it's not going to be the way of love. It's not going to be the way of Christ. It's not going to be the way of the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of God. That's the type of people that we need to be. We need to be the people who are following God. We don't need to even be partners with these other things. We don't need to have anything to do with these other things. And the list goes on and on, and, and he explains that you know this is... This might have been what your life was like at one point, which, I mean, almost any of us, uh, yes, these negative things, this is how our life used to be. But that was before Christ. Verses 8 through 14. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He's telling them that they were once darkness, but now they are light in the Lord. That's what we are. We might have been once people of darkness, children of darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. We are children of the light. Uh, and I love this image. You know, if you've ever kind of followed along with much of what I've said, you've realized that I like this image about light and darkness being for good and evil. That's because it's it, it's very easy to understand. I mean, you know, you turn on a light switch, you see the difference between light and darkness in that room, and you see the importance of light. You also see that whenever you turn on that light in a dark room, sometimes it takes you a while to get adjusted to the light. But once you live in the light, you find out it's better. You can see things clearly. These things that, that once were just kind of shadowy images that you didn't know what were, like in a room, talking kind of physically speaking here, when you turn the light on, you start to see, oh, that's what that was. 
You know, many of us, I'm sure, have had those times that you might have been trying to walk around uh, your house at night and you maybe stub your toe on something because you couldn't see it clearly. When you turn on the light, it's not a problem. In the same type of way, spiritually speaking, whenever we are children of light, then some of the darkness, some of the evil around us is clearly exposed and we can see it for what it is and we can just move out of that pathway. That's the call. That's the image. We should have nothing to do with these uh, these deeds of darkness. We see in verse 12 that it's shameful even to mention what they do, uh, mention what the disobedient do in secret. I mean, do we think about it like that? You know, uh, I hope we don't kind of make jokes about sinful things, but, you know, sometimes we might take it a little bit lighter. But yet, you know, the way he says it's shameful even to mention those things. Wickedness, uh, you, you might look at the world around us today and you might think the world is extremely wicked. And in many ways it is. But the, the world in which Paul lived was also extremely wicked as well. And it was shameful even to mention what they do in uh, in secret. But we are children of light, and the light, it illuminates these other things. We are called to let Christ shine through us. Continuing on in verses 15 through 20 now. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Same type of image that's being used right here. We have this call in verse 16, making the most of every opportunity. Now, I want you to think about that. Can you actually say that you make the most of every opportunity? That's what we're called to do. Remember, we're following the example of God. Don't compare your life to, to somebody else's life. Don't compare your life to my life, and I'm not going to do the same thing. We're not, we're not going to do that. Compare your life to God. And you notice, you know what? We can probably make better use of some of these opportunities. We're called to make the most of every opportunity. That's what we're called to do. We also see this contrast in verses 18 and 19. You know, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Um, I, I think it's kind of interesting that how this works sort of in Greek and also how it kind of relates to uh, in English. You know, we call uh, wine uh, a spirit. And so what he's saying is don't get drunk on those types of spirits, you know, some type of drink. He says be filled. You know, don't be filled with those other spirits, the wine, but be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. That's what we're called to be. We're called to be people who will uh, speak to one another, who will teach one another in the songs that we sing so that we can be able to be people who are going to, as verse 20 says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We might have been one way. Now we're called to a whole nother way in Christ. Whatever might have been doesn't have to continue to be because our lives have been illuminated. Uh, we have seen the light we have become children of the light. Let's continue to live in this light. The rest of this chapter now is going to get into how our lives need to look. You know, this was how we talk and how we think and, and how we act. Now we're going to get into our families, like our households. 
what our households need to look like. Now, I want to start off in verse 21. I'm just going to read this first. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, sometimes people look at verse 22 through 24 and they say, oh, well, you know, look at this. This is constantly talking about wives submitting to their husbands. And yes, it is. But notice in verse 21, it tells us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Bible is not negative about wives. It's not negative about women. The Bible is just clearly telling us that there is a place and a job for men and a place and a job for women. And we need to respect those uh, those positions. We need to respect uh, the way have, that we have been created. We see that this has been so from the very beginning of time. You know, uh, mankind is sometimes given specific jobs that we are called to do. Sometimes women are given jobs they are called to do. Sometimes men are given jobs that they are called to do. Yes, sometimes those jobs will overlap with one another. But yet we see that there still is some differences between the two of us. This is how we've always been created. Um, this is how God still intends for us to live uh, our, our lives even today. Now, I do also, before we get into this whole wives and husbands thing, is you notice different things are stated for the wives uh, as opposed to the husbands that we're going to notice in a moment. But I want to draw your attention to something. I, I don't have it up on the screen, but verse 32, if you fast forward, we're going to get there eventually. But in verse 32, we read, this is a profound mystery talking about everything he's about to say about wives, everything he's about to say about husbands. So this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So now notice he's making some parallels and he's stating things about how a Christian household should behave. But ultimately what he's talking about is Christ and the church. And really that's what our households are supposed to be modeled after. Now, that, that's kind of odd, but I don't want us to ever lose focus of that as we look at it here. So I want you to pay attention whenever the wives are compared uh, to Christ and the church. And I also want you to pay attention whenever the husbands are compared to Christ and the church. Because that's what this whole um, kind of way of speaking to us is, is used. He's really talking about Christ and the church, but he's also talking about us as a household and how we should reflect what Christ and the church and that relationship that exists between them. Okay, all that being stated, let's look at this. Verses 21 through 24. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Okay, so we see this, and a lot of this, of course, is um, how wives should be uh, submissive to their husbands. But we notice a sense of order in all of it. We also must pay attention, like what verse 22 says right here. It, it says that you should submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Notice all of this, once again, is under this heading of Christ and his church and that relationship that exists there. In verse 23, we see that it still is once again spoken of as Christ is the head of the church. So this image, you know, the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. We see that kind of relationship going uh, back and forth right here. And yes, sometimes people criticize this and they say, well, this is speaking down to wives. If you think this is speaking down to wives, then you would also think that Paul is speaking down to us as the church. He's not. He's not speaking down to the church. He's not speaking down to wives. He's just saying, look, 
Wives fit into the picture in a certain place. They have a position. Husbands fit in to this, this picture in the household. Um, and Christ fits in as well. So all of these things, we kind of uh, see the, the relation there. Wives are kind of compared with the church. Husbands are compared with Christ. This is to teach us a lesson. It's to show us about the relationship between Christ and his church, but it's also to show us how it should be between husbands and wives. Okay, so the church is called the body of Christ, okay, and he is the savior of it. All this is stated in verse 23. We also find out in verse 24 that, once again, it's stated, as the church sub submits to Christ. That is how wives are supposed to submit, um, just like Christ, sub uh, just like the church, sorry, submits to Christ. Um, I hope I didn't mess up the church and, and Christ and any of those things. Uh, I hope that you just read it on the screen in case maybe I accidentally said Christ and when I should have said church or, or the, uh, the other of that. But we see this, this comparison that's shown. We see that the church is called to submit to Christ. And I want you to think about that. Us as the church, how well do you think we submit to Christ? Well, we also see that what we should do, we should submit um, to Christ, of course. We see that wives are compared with that church, and wives have been called to submit to their husbands, just like the church submits to Christ. But now let's keep reading, because now we're going to see even more of the depth of this whenever Paul starts talking to husbands. Verses 25 through 33, and I'm going to continue on and reading even uh, the verses that I, I just read before, like verse 32. Um, okay, beginning verse 25. Now he addresses husbands. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Okay, so now keeping in mind how all of this is to be taken, verse 32, this mystery is, yes, he's talking about Christ and the church. He's using language about wives and husbands, but he's talking about Christ and the church. However, at the same time, in verse 33, he says, well, each of you must love uh, his, his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Okay, so yes, those things obviously are true. That's what Paul is getting at. He's, he's using these as images, though, for us to understand the significance of how we, uh, as the church, are called to submit to Christ, and how we, as Christian families, are called to submit to one another and what a Christian household should look like. Now, here we are. Sometimes people look at this and they say, oh, well, this speaks really highly of men, really highly of husbands. And in some ways, yes, it does. But notice the call that we have as husbands. We're called to love our wives. Okay, you might say, okay, so far so good. I can get that. But now look at the comparison. Verse 25 goes on, just as Christ loved the church. I want you to think about the love of Christ and what that call is really saying. Husbands are called to love their wives just as Christ loved the church. And he goes on and he, he describes that. He gave himself up for her. 
to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's the love that Christ has shown for the church. That's the type of love that husbands are called to love their wives with. Once again, we're not supposed to compare ourselves to our neighbors, not supposed to compare ourselves to any human. We are called to follow the example of God. We're called to follow the example of Christ. Husbands are called to follow the example of Christ and seeing this love that Christ has given uh, for the church. Um, you know, it, it, we, we can see that this is the type of love that Christ has shown. This is the type of love that husbands are called to show. We see in verse 28 uh, that uh, once again, in this same way, another comparison is brought up and it's, it's stated there that husbands need to love their wives just as their own bodies. And we see that, you know, of course, you're going to take care of yourself. Well, you need to also take care of your wife. You need to take care of your household. That's what Paul is getting them to see that this is the way of Christ. Now, to us, much of this might kind of make sense and might work pretty well in, in um, our idea of a household. Largely, that's because our idea of a household has been oftentimes, in this country at least, shaped by the Christian household. But whenever Paul was stating this, there were different ideas of how a household was supposed to behave. And it didn't always exactly line up with what Paul is stating right here. That's because Paul, he's going back to the very beginning. Like he's quoting in verse 31. You know, he goes back to the original creation whenever Adam and Eve were created, that the two are to become one flesh. We see that, that there is this, this unity that happens whenever marriage uh, takes place. We also see in verse 31, uh, once again, it's stated just as Christ does the church. This is once again brought up several times. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about Christ and the church. He's talking about the relationship between them. And you know, if you're listening to this and you might be thinking, oh, well, I'm not really a husband or a wife, uh, you know, for, for whatever reason that, that might not fit you. Um, that's okay because you can still understand that this is speaking about the relationship between Christ and the church. Now, of course, if you are a husband or a wife and you're listening to this part of scripture, then yes, we see verse 33, it definitely speaks to us. Each one of us, we must also love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. We each have a call, we each have a role. We see that just as uh, it's, it's a type of reflection with Christ and the church. Christ has a role, the church has a role. Husbands have a role, um, wives have a role as well. We all have a role to fit in this body of Christ. We all have a task at hand. This task at hand is a wonderful call to follow the example of God. Let's make sure that we do that. I'm going to say it one final time. Don't compare yourself to any other human being. Compare yourself to Christ. Compare yourself to God. Follow his example and you'll always find yourself busy, continuing to to, to better yourself, continuing to walk in the light, continuing to walk in this way of love. This is the way of Christ. This is our calling in Jesus Christ. Let's follow him. Let's light the world up. Let's be the light in this world.